we bow our heads and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable in your sight through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Several weeks ago, uh, maybe, I don't know, three weeks ago, I was watching PBS and they aired um, a documentary on Prince Philip. And you may know whom he, who Prince Philip is or was. Uh, he was the husband of Queen Elizabeth II. And it was interesting to me because I know very little about Prince Philip. I knew he was from Greece. I did not know he was in line for the throne of Greece. However, when he was very young, his family had to flee Greece due to conflict there, and they had to leave everything behind. And since they were distantly related to the royal family in England, they settled there. Philip's family had no money, and so he needed to earn a living, and he joined the Royal Navy. And while in the Royal Navy, he met his future wife and the future queen, Princess Elizabeth, and a romance developed. Now, Elizabeth's family, the Windsors, did not really approve of Philip, because he was Greek, not British, and he had no money. But Elizabeth was determined to marry Philip. So they became secretly engaged, and they were married, I think, late in 1947. Now, Philip was a career officer in the Royal Navy, and he eventually became the captain of his own ship, stationed on the island of Malta in the Mediterranean. Elizabeth followed him in his career and moved to Malta where she could be, for the foreseeable future, the wife of a British naval officer. But her father, King George VI, died prematurely in 1952. He was only 56 years of age, and Philip and Elizabeth's life changed dramatically. She ascended to the throne years before she was expected to, and that meant that she had to take on royal duties immediately. And Philip had to make an even bigger adjustment. He had to adjust to being his wife's consort, including having to walk several steps behind her whenever they were in public. He later admitted, quote, I thought I was going to have a career in the Navy, but it became obvious there was no hope of that. There was no choice. It just happened. You have to make compromises. That's life. I accepted it. Hearing that made me think of Joseph and Mary. I don't know what their plans were, but surely it was nothing like what God had in mind for them. Your Gospel reading for this evening, from Matthew 1, beginning at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. 
Now in ancient Judea, a couple would normally marry a year after their betrothal. But restraint was the norm in that society. A godly man would not sleep with his fiancée before marriage. That was the custom. And the evangelist Matthew wants us to know that Mary and Joseph, like most of their Jewish contemporaries, practiced sexual restraint before their marriage. They were not exceptional. They were the rule. Joseph's righteous character placed him in the midst of a dilemma. He had to divorce Mary because he knew the child was not his. Yet, he did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he compromised by deciding to divorce her quietly. Now, in contrast to our culture today, Joseph lived in a society where he had no option of giving Mary a second chance, even if he had wanted. Jewish, Greek, and Roman law all demanded that a man divorce his wife if she were guilty of adultery. Jewish law demanded that a man charge his wife immediately on discovery that she had been unfaithful. Roman law actually treated a husband who failed to divorce an unfaithful wife as a panderer exploiting his wife to be a prostitute. Mediterranean society viewed with contempt the weakness of a man who let his love for his wife outweigh his honor in repudiating her. And since a virgin birth had never happened before, and since Mary had not claimed rape, and Joseph had not had intercourse with her, he could only assume that she had intercourse with another man. Thus, Joseph felt the pain of apparent betrayal in a world that considered adultery to be the ultimate theft, the stealing of another man's most precious possession, the undivided affection of his wife. And because Joseph alone had received this revelation from the angel, others would assume that Mary had gotten pregnant before the wedding by Joseph and no one else, he would remain an object of shame in a society dominated by the value of honor. Now, if Joseph had divorced Mary, he would salvage his reputation, he would maintain his honor, but his obedience to God cost him his reputation. Mary's assumed betrayal had brought him shame. But, Roman numeral one, in your sermon outline, Joseph values God's will above his own reputation. Above his own reputation. And letter A, Joseph never speaks anywhere in the New Testament. He never speaks. 
He believes the angel's words and silently does God's will. That's life, he might say. I accepted it. He silently does God's will. And note here, faith produces obedience. Faith alone produces the good works that God's law demands. We hear the law, but it has no power to create obedience. Only the gospel does that. Only the promises of God in Christ produce faith and therefore obedience. In Matthew 2, the angel tells Joseph to take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt because Herod seeks to kill the child. Joseph doesn't argue. He doesn't object. He silently obeys. In Matthew 2, 19 to 21, an angel tells Joseph to return to Israel because those who have sought the child's life are dead. Joseph silently obeys. So, faith produces obedience, but, letter B, obedience will cost Joseph his reputation. You see, it's not just sin that robs you of your good name. Faithfulness to God will rob you of your good name also. Because we live in a world and in a culture, sometimes even in a church, that does not understand faithfulness to God and what it all involves and what it entails. Roman numeral two. Joseph formally adopts Jesus. Formal adoption. Verse 24 of our gospel reading. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. He's naming the child. Now, he's not given that name. The angel gave the God gave the name. But Joseph is bestowing it, which is the job of the father, to name the child. And this is how Jesus officially becomes the son of David. Joseph receives Mary into his home as his wife. And in doing so, he becomes the legal father of Jesus, the adoptive father. And Jesus becomes the legal adoptive son of David. That's how it happens. Now letter A. The most important thing a father can do for his children is this, to love their mother. Love their mother. How true that is. Joseph is a righteous man who was obligated to follow the Jewish law and to divorce his wife, but God intervened and he said, quote, in so many words, if you follow the law in this case, Joseph, you're making a big mistake. The child within her is from the Holy Spirit. And so let her be. Joseph shows mercy to Mary. Mercy. 
And point number one, mercy, uh, one definition of mercy, and this is kind of an archaic definition, but it fits. Price paid. The price is paid. When you show mercy, you take upon yourself responsibility for another. It's not just a feeling of compassion, it's compassion in action. It cancels the debt or assumes the responsibilities of someone else. That's mercy. And Jesus defines it that way. Price paid. In the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know the story. The Samaritan comes to the aid of the man left for dead along the roadside. He takes him to an inn, sets him up there, pays for his keep, and he says the innkeeper, when I come back, if he's charged you anything else, I'll pay it. That's mercy. Taking responsibility for another. That's Joseph. Mercy is always costly. It always comes at a price. Joseph's reputation his standing in society will suffer as a result of doing God's will, but it was a price Joseph was willing to pay. Number two, like father, like son. Solomon wrote, another son of David, raise up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Jesus knew who raised him. He knew who his adoptive father was. He knew him as a man who valued God's will above his own reputation. And that is the image of a godly man that Jesus witnessed growing up. That was the example set before his eyes. And that's the kind of man Christ would become. A man who valued God's will above his own reputation. His own esteemed him not. The apple does not fall far from the tree. Letter C. Like his legal father, Joseph, Jesus will silently fulfill God's will. He will silently fulfill God's will. As Isaiah wrote, he was oppressed and afflicted, and he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. And that goes to the heart of what a godly man is, one who silently does whatever God may ask. Or in the words of Philip, I accepted it. Now none of us do that perfectly, except one. But that one is enough to forgive all of our failures as godly men. And that one is enough 
to call each one of us back to the tasks he's given us to do as his godly men. In Jesus' name, amen.